So if you're here for the first time this morning, you're catching the very last of our series on finding joy. And uh, it seems to be sparking a lot of great conversations. Uh, A lot of you have been talking about a lot of the things we've been talking about, which is uh, fantastic. And so uh, I would really encourage you, if you haven't heard any of the series, it's on our uh, website, it's online there, and... uh, and if you have been really enjoying it, uh, you may have some friends that you have that you think, actually, this would be really helpful for them as well. And uh, you can just grab the link off the website and email it to them, you know, what, whatever would, that you think would be helpful. Because I know that a lot of you have been finding it really helpful. But we're looking at the last message in the series today, and today we're looking at joy blockers or finding joy in hard times. And... Uh, been so gathering material for, for the message and very quickly realised that when we're looking at joy blockers, we are talking about a whole bunch of stuff, a whole bunch of uh, very challenging stuff that can happen in life. And so I hope your expectation isn't that in the next 35 to 40 minutes we'll just cover everything, all the solutions... Uh, we are really only going to just look at a few uh, bits and pieces, offer a small amount of wisdom today. And there may be things on the back of this you're going, oh, Matt, I was so hoping that you would talk about this. And, uh, and some of those things are really you know, worthy of not just a message on their own, but, uh, but you know, reading books and having conversations and um, you know, to work through. So there's, there's a lot of things in this fallen, broken world that we live in that can, uh, can get in the way of, of us finding joy. There's a guy, uh, that, a very well-known guy uh, by the name of Viktor Frankl, and he was a, uh, a psychologist that uh, in World War II uh, got uh, arrested, he's Jewish, uh, and he was sent off to the concentration camps. And he was one of the very, very small percentage of people who uh, were Holocaust survivors and uh, saw some just horrific things in his time in the camps and then was liberated by the Allied forces and uh, in, the, in the few years following was just um, working out this, this psychology of, uh, of people doing well in very, very challenging circumstances. Um, and he came to the conclusion that people are, are primarily driven by this, this striving to find meaning in life. And it is this sense of meaning in life that enables people to overcome painful experiences. That sense of meaning in life. And he's written a very, now very famous book called Man's Search for Meaning. And if you're a, uh, if you're a thinker, you're a reader, uh, just a, a very, very rich book. Uh, but you know, one of his big conclusions was that it's, it's the last human freedom is to choose our attitude to suffering. And he said that even even the most painful, dehumanizing situations, life has potential meaning, and therefore even suffering has meaning. There are going to be hard things in life. There are. And if you're serious about finding joy in hard times, 
you know, the question is, is to ask is not how can I escape, but how can I use this to find and find something positive in it? How can I find meaning in this? How can I um, see that there is something positive in the midst of it? And yet most people, they ask the how can I escape question. I just want to pray for us as we, as we get into this. And um, What's going to happen this morning is that there's going to be a few things that for some of you are going to be like quite, you know, very much like, oh, this is really, really right for me right now. And for some of you, there's going to be some hard times and hard things that you're in the midst of, and you're going like, oh, he didn't talk about this. And, and, uh, so, but I just, want, I just trust in the goodness of God and in, in the journey that he's, he's taking us all on. I just want to in, invite his, his presence here. So, so God, we're so grateful that, uh, that joy is a part of who you are and a part of your invitation to us as we step in to to know you, to follow you, and into your kingdom. And we pray this morning, God, we pray that, that for each one of us there would be something that uh, would, be, would be helpful this morning, that would land in our hearts and, and allow us to stride towards joy. God, for people that are in the midst of uh, times where they are, these times are making joy challenging. God, I pray for your, your presence. I pray for just a filling afresh of your spirit, God, in their inner man and their inner woman, just even right now. Amen. That's weird, eh? We might, have to, we might have to fix that. <laughs> You'll be all right with a few uh, crackles, won't you? First thing that we're going to look at uh, today is fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety. Even just saying that, you go, yep, that'll be something that would get in the way of joy, wouldn't it? You go, yep. And uh, anxiety is just a huge problem in, in today's culture. I read this, I read someone quoting some research. I don't actually have the, the source of the research itself, so... I've, it was just, I, I'm not sure if it's true or not because I couldn't verify it. But uh, this, they said that uh, anxiety levels in young people today in the US are the same as they were for uh, psychiatric patients in the 1950s. I'm like, so something's happening in our culture that is, uh, in our Western culture, that is increasing uh, an anxiety. And the first thing I want to say about, about fear and worry, and this is going to be a little bit hard to hear, but it's very true, is that these are very strong, very negative emotions about something that, uh, that hasn't happened. And if something hasn't happened, it means it doesn't exist. If something doesn't exist, there's nothing. You are worrying about nothing. When you worry, you are worrying about nothing. Yes, I hear that, but I don't like it. But that's the reality. They've done research around, uh, and one study found that like 92% of the things that people worry about never happen. Never happen. 92. I mean, stuff does happen. Like, stuff, like we're not saying that. Um, but when we worry, we're using energy and strength for something that doesn't exist. It hasn't happened. It's, I know it sounds harsh, but it's, it's, that's the reality of it. 
And Jesus says to us in Matthew 6, and he said, don't worry. He said, don't worry. And often we can read that and we think like, yeah, like, that sounds good, but it's impossible. He says, don't worry. You have nothing to worry about. God has you in the palm of his hand. Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. And then in 33, he goes, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So, so what do we do instead of worry? We, we choose to trust. We choose to trust. We choose to trust in God. And you might say, but, but we have to worry because bad stuff happens. Bad stuff happens. Like There will be some, some challenges. We should be cautious about what's ahead. And absolutely, you know, tough stuff will come our way. You know, Jesus says in John 14 that, uh, that in this world you will have troubles. You will have troubles. So we, we can plan for tough stuff that may come. We can deal with it as best we can when it comes along, when it is real. But we don't worry. I did a message on worry a, a couple of three years ago, and if worry's a, your thing, if you know you're a worrier, I would really encourage you to, um, to have a listen to that message. It's a whole message on this whole thing of, of worry, and it's, it's awesome. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was having another look at it this week. I thought, man, I, I, that was actually a good message. <laughs> so, um, so, like, without going into it more today, but it's just so important to, to live in the day, you know, to let go of the mistakes of yesterday, to deal with tomorrow's challenges when tomorrow comes. There's a lady called Corrie Ten Boom. She's a Dutch lady who, a uh, wonderful lady, again, through World War II, she was someone who uh, rescued just hundreds of people uh, that were um, being you know, taken away to concentration camps and just incredible. She ended up in, in prison herself. and um, Wonderful Christian lady. She says this, Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. And again, she says this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. So one thing I'll just throw out about worry again is that may help you is to, um, is to pray. In Philippians 4, it says, do not be anxious about anything. There's a lot of scripture that invites us to not worry. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I've, I've seen people time and time again bring things to God in prayer. And not just a 10-second prayer, but you know, maybe it's a walk on the beach, it's a decent chunk of time, maybe it's a day or two of just really just inviting God into it. And then they just have this story of like the peace that comes. It's just like, it just came. It's a guy called Rick Warren, a pastor of a big church in California, and he says this, the more you pray, the less you'll panic. 
The more you worship, the less you worry. You feel more patient and less pressured. So there's something for you, just you know, this whole thing of prayer. Another joy blocker, frustration and anger. I know that you've all heard about road rage. You know what it is? It's, it's just rage. It's not road. It's nothing to do with the road. It's just rage. It's just what it is, is that people have just got this anger bubbling away. And just because you forgot to indicate when you turned around on the corner, it just explodes. And people will give you all sorts of sign language on the road, and you're thinking, like, that wasn't that big. I just forgot to indicate. And it's like, you know, it's, it's just anger. It's just anger. And anger is this thing. It's like, it's like pouring into a container. Eventually, you keep pouring, and eventually it starts to flow out. Uh, and uh, that's what happens with, with anger. It's like you can control it, you can control it, you can control it, and then all of a sudden you can't control it. Listen to this. This is what I read. This, this will make me sound smart, but um, you, know, you know me better than that. So, um, if you let anger build too much, the critical thinking part of our brain switches off. The prefrontal cortex loses its ability to control our emotional limbic system, so we do dumb things. We throw the PlayStation controller through the TV. And everyone's, a few people are like, I did that. You throw things off the table. You punch walls. It's like, how stupid is that? But people punch walls in their anger. People punch people in anger. They punch people they love in anger because they're just lost. This just whole thing of the brain just loses the ability to, to not do dumb stuff. And I'll tell you, that you can just see it right there. It robs us of joy, doesn't it? This whole thing of anger. And so we've got to get... like Emotional responses are, are just what they are. But it's what... You know, like something happens, we respond emotionally. It's like we, we can't feel worried about that. That just happens. It's, but then, like, it's the, it's the next bit. You know, do we feed it or do we just let it simmer and, and seethe? And that's the key. We've got to get, we, we can't let anger get to that, that boiling point. So here's some help for you this morning. And this is one thing, and I've said this to you before. It's like you only ever get angry for one reason. You only ever get angry for one reason. Because you, do, you don't get what you want. Oh, another truth that hits home and it's just, oh my goodness. I shouldn't have come to church this morning. These are all these hard things Matt's saying. You don't get what you want. Now sometimes that's a good thing. Like you don't, what you want is you, want your, you don't want your child to be bullied. I mean, and you get angry when they do. That's fair enough. But then a lot of the times you're just angry because like, you can't find the remote control. You know? Or you get angry because like someone just got to that car park, you could see it, and then someone just jumped in ahead of you. And so like this is just such a helpful thing. If anger's a thing for you, I would encourage you to to develop this habit of asking the question, what is it that I am I want that I'm not getting? Because often the times you just think, they're making me angry. Well, it's, like, it's just that you're not getting what you want. So if you can stop and ask yourself that question, it just can just dial it back a little bit 
to you, and, and most of the time you'll think, no, I'm just being a buffed, selfish person. And, um, and hopefully that will help dial that, that back. You know, frustrate, frustrating things will happen in life. And, and a way to stop them being joy blockers is to respond differently. And you have to kind of work out what that looks like for you, you know. Maybe respond with humour. Maybe respond with just acceptance. Or even maybe respond with compassion. You know, when that person cuts you off and does all sorts of weird things on the road, think, instead of thinking like crazy driver, think maybe they're on rushing to get to the hospital or maybe their day is way worse than mine and this is just the way they're working it out. Compassion. I was going to talk about sadness and grief. Um, I'm not going to. I started into I thought this is just, um, it just feels like it's just too big a thing to, to just touch on today. Um, I'm looking and thinking it would be good to do that in the future uh, because it's, um, it's, a, it's a huge thing. You know, sadness is a huge challenge to joy. I will, though, talk about uh, despair. And uh, despair is that place of you just, you look at life and everything is just, there's just nothing good ahead. It's just nothing. Uh, it's hopelessness. And the antidote to hopelessness is hope. Is hope. Hey, you getting sick of the crackling? <laughs> Do I put this behind my ear as well? Maybe shave before you. That's your cheeky assistant pastor right there. Did you hear what he said? He told me to shave. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the antidote to despair is hope, and we've got a guy uh, who's part of our church, and um, just don't think he's here this morning. And um, but he posted a, a video that he did uh, recently of his journey over the last uh, couple of years. Um, so it's Jackson. Some of you may know him. He's a, uh, in the in the police force, and um, policemen have very challenging uh, a very challenging job. And um, they see a lot of stuff that is tough, tough to see, and have to deal with a lot of people that are tough to deal with, and uh, and that can have an impact on. It will have an impact. Some people are able to. Some way that our our brain works is that is that trauma eventually does have a uh, an, an impact. Um, and um, and Jackson like it just caught him by surprise, and he just started to get flatter and flatter and lower and lower and lower. And uh, you, you can see this video. So I think, is it on our church Facebook page? Um, and to the point where, as a huge surprise to him, it was having um, suicidal thoughts. And, um, and in the darkest times when the, the drive was strong to do something permanent, it was... It was hope. It was hope that that overrode these dark thoughts. Hope that one day he would 
be at his daughter's wedding. You know, she's like, she's just the wee one. Hope that he'd be, uh, he'd watch his son play footy. And, um, and, and more recently with, you know, since he's sort of doing better now, he's just, you know, got this huge, huge heart for, um, for using his journey to help others. And so then that's helping him as well, just this hope that his story will be, you know, will, will be helping in the rescue of, of other people in, in similar situations. And he's had a lot of people from the, um, from the police all around the country have got in touch and, and go like, I don't think we're allowed to talk about this stuff. So I know that hope is not easy, just in the midst of, a, you know, in the midst of despair, but hope is the antidote. And we've, you've if you find yourself there or if that's somewhere that you bounce into from time to time, you've got to find, you've got to find hope. Desmond Tutu, again, I've been quoting him a lot the last uh, few series, Archbishop uh, in South Africa. He says this, to choose hope, he's just talking about how it's not easy. To choose hope is to step firmly forward into the howling wind, bearing one's chest to the elements, knowing that in time the storm will pass. And like, so and what if you, what if with hope you go like, what do I hope for? Well, I, I tell you, there's a bunch of people here that'll tell you the same thing, that, that uh, you can have faith in God, that good things will, will come, that God is good and his goodness will shine through. And I'll tell you something else too, that uh, for, this is for all of us, is that hope is nurtured by community. So if any of us are you know, in conversation or we know someone that's in a, you know, a challenging season or a few, you know, tough things have happened in a row, like we've got to work out ways where we can communicate hope to them. We can, we can plant hope from our place of strength into their place of, uh, of less strength. Does that make sense? Just so that, so don't be thinking like, well, despair is not really a thing that, that affects me, but I tell you what, you will bump into people, and you just never know that how um, hard times can lead to you know challenges in, in people's lives. Some people have um, have uh, less resilience than others, and sometimes just too many things on top of each other can just trigger something that then uh, can cause us, you know, a, a person that's doing well to be a person that's not doing well. Loneliness is something that is a joy blocker. Again, I'm not going to talk about that uh, today. Um, going to jump on to another one here. Envy. Envy is a joy blocker. Envy. Isn't it? It's just weird. You can be having a perfectly okay day. You might be at work, and your boss comes in and gives something very nice to your workmate and not to you. So your day was going perfectly fine, and then all of a sudden you're grumpy. What's changed? Like, not that your situation hasn't changed. One of your friends, the situation's got better, and you're the one that's grumpy. So, yeah, no, that doesn't, that doesn't affect me, but like, I'll tell you, try it with your kids. <laughs> just bring a big block of chocolate and just say, this is for you. Sorry, guys, just... just See how they, their day goes. Envy can block joy. We were renting a house one time, and the landlord came over one day, and 
he had this, there was a big garage there and there's a whole bunch of stuff that he had locked in all these cupboards in the, in the garage. And he came over one day and he just said, oh, I've been thinking, I've got all the stuff I used here and a lot of materials and tools and things that um, I used when I was building. Oh, I'm not going to do any of that stuff anymore. It's like, let's just open it up and you, if there's anything you want, you can have. And I'm like, whoa, this is like Christmas come early. And, uh, and, uh, so I was, and I was telling a friend of mine about that about two weeks later. And so what did he do? He got grumpy. He got grumpy. Oh, man, that never happens to me. Wish I was there. Wish I'd have rented that house. And I could do with a few more tools. It's just weird. Envy, envy blocks joy. I talked a couple of weeks back about this World Happiness Report. It comes out every year. Uh, it's sponsored by the United Nations. And uh, again, just to remind you, New Zealand's eighth in the world. That's what they say, you know, the way that they work it out. But there's a really interesting chapter on the USA. Really interesting. That's, uh, USA is a, a very unique country. Uh, and uh, one of the bits it talked about was this thing called the Easterland Paradox. And the stats are that since 1972 in the USA, inflation-adjusted income has, uh, has uh, per capita, per person, has doubled. So twice as much spending power as they had um, not since 1972. And the measures of happiness are exactly the same. And Richard Easterlin, who first came up with this thing, the Easterlin Paradox, his theory was that uh, it's not about your, uh, your income that makes you happy, it's about your income compared to others. That is your source of happiness. So because everyone's has gone up, no one's any happier. It's like, envy is a joy blocker, joy killer. And I tell you, if you live with envy, you know, guess what? Life's going to be hard. There is, this is hard again, hard to hear. There are smarter people in the world than you. There are better looking people in the world than you. There are more talented people in the world than you. There are richer people in the world than you. So if you're an envious person, it's going to be a, a tough slog. Now, we usually compare ourselves to people in our, in our social circles, and uh, there's a saying that if you want to be poor, find rich friends. If you want to be rich, find poor friends. Envy, it's a joy killer. The Tenth Commandment. Do not covet. Do not want what other people have. Dummies, don't do it. Don't envy. And there's three things I'll just throw out there that will help you if, you're a env- if envy's a challenge for you. One is humility. Humility is just like accepting who you are. I've got my weaknesses. I've got a lack of ability in these areas. It's just who I am. Just accepting it. Just humility. Second thing is Gratitude. Counting your blessings. You know, you don't live in a cardboard box on the side of the road and have a handful of cold gravel for breakfast. You know, you're just be grateful for what you do have. Another thing is to celebrate the success of others. And it's a weird thing. How like when you can, you start to do that and you think like, and you just feel fine like, but, 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 I, but, <laughs> Get in the habit of celebrating the success of others. And, even, you know, and if that's hard, just ask God for help. Help me find joy in the success of others. 
How are we going? Another one for you this morning, another joy blocker. Bitterness. People do bad stuff to other people. It hurts. It can traumatize. It angers. And, and, and it steals joy. But with anything that happens, I know it's a, it's a little bit cheesy saying, but with anything that happens, we can become bitter or we can become better. And the key is forgiveness. Listen to this uh, again by Desmond and his wife, um, whose name is spelt M-P-H-O. You can pronounce it however you like. Um, but they wrote a book called The Book of Forgiving. And they say this, Without forgiveness, we remain tethered to the person who harmed us. We are bound to the chains of bitterness, tied together, trapped. Until we forgive the person who harmed us, that person will hold the keys to our happiness. That person will be our jailer. When we forgive, we take back control of our own fate and our feelings. We become our own liberator. We've got to forgive. There is so much in our scriptures. I'm not going to put them up there this morning for the sake of time, but read the Bible. We are called to be a forgiving people. And, and we can know the forgiveness of God for ourselves as well, which will empower us to be forgiving people. They've done, uh, they've done studies of the animal kingdom and uh, around, and they've found that in just about all you know, mammal species, they have some kind of reconciliation process. They've done it with hyenas and giraffes and dolphins, so that when they you know, get in a bit of a fight, they have this reconciliation process. Isn't that amazing? That, like, they, the animal kingdom has a forgiveness system. They found that there was one species that didn't, it didn't, they didn't do it. Cats. <laughs> I, I, just, I just wanted to let you know that because, like, you don't be mean to your cat. <laughs> like, you know, they've got claws, they'll, you know, wreck your furniture, and it will just, they'll never forgive you. So just, as so seriously, they found that out. And the cats, they don't, they don't work out. Forgiveness is not in there. doesn't work for them. Howard Cutler, he's a psychiatrist, he says, he says, a survey after survey has shown that happy people are found to be more loving and forgiving than unhappy people. Which comes first? Who cares? Bitterness and unforgiveness, it's a joy blocker. And if you want to be a happy old person, you've got to learn how to forgive. You've got to. And Jesus told us over and over, forgive each other. And, it's, and he, it, wasn't just, it wasn't just about good behavior. It's a recipe for joy. Forgiveness. Another thing I'm not going to touch on today, again, I just want to acknowledge that it is very real as, the, as illness um, as it can be a joy blocker. And, and another thing, too, is, is the fear of death. Um, very real for some people and I apologise that I haven't got time to go into everything but there's just a couple more things I want to talk about and then provide something quite helpful as we finish um, 
another thing, you can't talk about you know, joy and recipes for joy and joy blockers without talking about depression. Uh, and we're, what we're talking about here is something that's different from sadness. This is, um, this is what medical people will say, this is a thing. You know, you, you know, you've been diagnosed. Uh, and it's just when the brain doesn't do what it's supposed to do. It, uh, and, it, it, and so uh, it just starts to park your whole body at this place where life is, is hard. And it can be caused by all sorts of reasons. Uh, trauma, uh, we've talked about, uh, either, either recent or, or past. Uh, very real that uh, traumatic things in, in childhood can, um, can lead to depression in the current day. Um, Diet can be a, a can, can lead you there. Um, substance uh, use, like substances that are unhelpful, um, you know, again either past or, or present. Um, lengthy sadness, lengthy sadness can just sort of click it into this place of um, moving it from sadness to depression. Um, genetics, unfortunately, some some genetic uh, makeups are more susceptible to this. Um, Ongoing challenges, so if there's challenge after challenge after challenge after challenge after challenge, and it can get to the point where it just wears your resilience down and, uh, and can lead us. Major, major, major life changes. Um, and so if life feels just a lot harder than it used to be, it may be depression. It may be worth talking to medical experts and, um, about this. And a lot of people, especially, you know, I was not say especially, a lot of people, including Christians, um, feel a little nervous about um, thinking like it might be this, you know, that um, you know, there's a sense of like, what will people think if this is me? What will I think if this is me? Um, if I need some medication, um, what, you know, is that going to make me a different kind of me? Um, there's a lot of nervousness about it, but um, and, and for a lot of Christians too, they just think that like prayer, prayer will sort this out. And prayer could sort it out, but it may not sort it out. So my input to anyone is that is medical professionals can help. Counselors, doctors, you know, psychologists, they can help. And, and with diagnosis and, and treatment, and it may be that it, it may have taken quite a bit of time to get to where you are, and it might take a bit of time to get out the other side, but uh, but they'll they'll help you with a mix of maybe medication or diet changes, lifestyle changes, um, support structures, you know, encouragement, you know, exercise changes, and you should just do what they say. You should just do what they say. And uh, I know that the question is, oh, well, what about God's help? What about God's help? I'm going to get to that. Um, but let me just talk about one other thing that uh, I wanted to talk about this morning uh, that is, uh, can be a joy blocker, and that is spiritual oppression. Spiritual oppression. And the Bible says that in, in 1 Peter 5, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Spiritual opposition is very real, people. A lot of... A lot of talk in the Western world, they'll just go like, that was something from the Middle Ages, all of that, you know, witchcraft, demon stuff. That's, you know, that's, 
that was just in people's minds when they were ignorant about modern things like uh, understanding science and having Netflix and all those important things from the modern world. And but it's very real. I can I I've seen stuff. I've heard stuff. I've uh, and a number of you will have that you go there is there is nothing about that except that that we can say that that is some kind of spiritual evil force some kind of evil spirits are at work in this situation and um, I remember in, uh, a few years back we baptized a young guy who was 16 he wasn't that big and um, we got him towards the water and uh, this demonic activity just sprung up it was at a Baptist church they have they have baptism pools at the front of the church so church was full of people and he just this demonic uh, manifestation just went and you know and there was a guy there he's a lovely Rarotongan guy one of the guys with the biggest biceps I've ever seen in my whole life was struggling to just to hold this 16 skinny little 16 year old kid that was you know manifesting and again great outcome with him and you know got delivered and um, and things but I mean that's just one of a number of stories I mean spiritual spiritual uh, oppression evil spirits it's it's re it's real and the enemies of God are the enemies of God's people. And they are working to undo the work of God in your life. They will, of which joy is a part of. But let me just say something here. And this is this kind of, I want to talk about this in terms of the, the, the whole picture of today, about these things around joy blockers. And, uh, and I want to talk about prayer. I want to talk about prayer. This, and look, let me just say, this is really important. You need to hear this. You, you need to hear this. Is that there is, there is very real power in prayer. It's not just something, it's not just a placebo. It's not just something that makes us feel good when we do it because we've done, our, done the right thing. There is power in prayer. And there's, there's power in a short prayer. But there's, a, there's something else that, that kicks in when you have a number of people praying for a decent length of time around a certain thing. You can really see changes happen. We've seen some real breakthroughs with prayer. And, uh, and this is specifically thinking about a number of people with someone, you know, laying on of hands, just putting a hand on their shoulder and praying, and just taking our time, being led by the Holy Spirit, and just praying through a bunch of stuff. Seeing demonic oppression lift off and, uh, and be cast out. Seeing uh, emotional you know, trauma um, reversed. Seeing uh, reduction in the, in the symptoms of depression. Seeing emotional healing. Seeing peace come in situations of fear and and anxiety and stress. Real change. And what I want to offer to you as Coast Vineyard uh, and ask you this question is that I know for many of you, you know, some of you, life's just like 10 out of 10. Others, it's, it's tough. But my question is, is that do you want this? Do you want, do you want help to step out of a challenging season that you're in when it comes to, um, to your joy. Any of these things. 
do you want this? You know, it's easy for us to go, well, you know, I, I just don't want people to know. Or, um, you know, I'm too busy. Um, um, you know, I'm not really sure about it. Or I don't know if I believe that it, it can change. And then I've just sort of spent an evening or, you know, an afternoon with, and it's just like, you know, what if it's just a waste of time? And, um, you know, you might think, yeah, but aren't those prayer people, aren't they the weird ones, you know, in the, in the church? Aren't they the weird ones? I don't know if I want to, you know, no, they're great people. You know, why avoid this when there is a possibility of just dramatic improvement in our situation? Look, we have a number of people here at Coast Vineyard that have got significant training and significant experience to really help people in this really help people in this. And I know I'm focusing in on this, this one thing just as we finish, but I, it's so important that you realize that this is available for you. It's powerful. It's life-changing. And it's available. It's available for you this week or next week or, you know, down the track when, you know, if something really tough happens. You know, we've got, our, we've got our pastoral leaders here. L- listen to this again. It's in, in our scriptures in James. He says, if any, is anyone among you sick? Like, whether it's physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. So if you're sick, you call us. But, you know, we're not mind readers. Don't miss out on having your church help you get these joy blockers out the way. All right, why don't we stand together? Let's stand.